0: Hey, caffeinators! welcome to the Vet Tech Cafe. The Vet Tech Cafe is a podcast centered around veterinary technicians and nurses, hosted by myself, Dave Cowan, and my good friend, Jeff Backus. We strive to discuss current issues facing our profession and give our colleagues a voice and a medium to enter into these discussions. Our guests are experts in the veterinary field that we hope can help our listeners work towards dealing with these issues, as well as coming up with solutions that can lead to change. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on the Vet Tech Cafe, please contact us at vettechcafe at gmail.com, or you can find us at our website, vettechcafe.com. One thing we would ask of you, our listeners, is to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. We're not exactly sure how or why this helps us, but apparently it does. So without further ado, come on in, grab yourself a cup of coffee, and get ready for another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe.
1: Hello, caffeinators, and welcome back to the Vet Tech Cafe, where there are always dulcet tones coming through the speakers. <laughs> and uh, today's guest is is the one that brought our attention to that. Coin that phrase. Um, we'd like, to, yes, we'd like to uh, <laughs> thank all of the caffeinators out there for their continued support um, of our podcast and buying our merchandise and and Patreonizing us <laughs> um, and continuing to download all of our episodes and subscribe to all of our channels. We really, really, really appreciate the support, and it's great to great to see you guys out uh, when we do get the opportunity to interact with you guys so thank you so much for the support if this is your first time checking out the vet tech cafe podcast definitely head over to our website www.vettechcafe.com for all of our intro or all of our info excuse me and be sure to like and subscribe and follow us on all of our channels dave how's it going out there things are great out here uh you know this this episode is going to be
0: uploading in may but we're still yeah. smack dab in the middle of April, and I had a very busy March, and I I was telling you that I was supposed to have a, a slower April, and that's just not working out the way that I wanted it to. So, <laughs> still still going strong with you know training sessions and and lectures and yeah all that stuff. Hopefully hopefully uh slower days on the other side of of May. <laughs> How are you guys doing out yeah. there? you yeah. you're,
1: Well, by the time this uploads, you you may be a dad. Yeah. I will I will be a dad most likely, yeah. We're less than four weeks out mm-hmm. now. Um so getting close. Are you nervous? But yeah, it's it's been uh yeah, getting more so every day. My my office is turning more and more into a nursery <laughs> every day. So every time I turn around there's another reminder that uh, that Daphne is on the way. So uh just a couple of weeks out yet, but um but yeah, by the time this uploads I'll I think I'll probably be a dad by then. So awesome. yeah, pretty awesome, crazy awesome. stuff. Pretty crazy stuff. So we've got an op- awesome episode today. We're going to continue on our um, the mental health series for May that we always do for Mental Health Awareness Month. And we have Cat Walker coming by the Vet Tech Cafe today. You may recognize her as Radio Vet Nurse. She does her own podcast down in Australia. Cat started her career in corporate social res- uh, responsibility assessment before working as a solicitor in planning and environmental law, litigation, and later as a regional generalist. Taking a break from law to become the co-founder, co-owner, and general manager of a general practice veterinary surgery for over seven years. During this time, she became a registered veterinary nurse and developed a passion for the industry. And I can use the phrase registered veterinary nurse because she's in Australia. Cat <laughs> sold her uh, veterinary practice in 2021 and is now the veterinary nurse manager of the Animal Emergency Service on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. She is also the creator and host of the Radio Vet Nurse podcast and uses her unique blend of veterinary and legal skills and knowledge to advocate for positive change in the veterinary industry, which we are all about. Kat, thank you so much for coming by the Vet Tech Cafe today. What can we get you for a cup of coffee?
2: I would like a mug of flat white. Excellent. Excellent. All right.
1: All right. We will get right on that. If you don't mind uh, taking us through, take us through your career path. It's kind of fascinating what we hear our guests have done kind of along the way so Kind of what got you into VetMed, some high points along the way, and what you're doing now?
2: Yeah, so my path into VetMed has definitely been accidental. So I grew up in um, Wagga Wagga, which <laughs> I know is a hilarious name when you're not from Australia and you're not used to places having <coughs> these uh, strange names. And when I finished school, I uh, was a singer dancer for the first year after school and got a taste of international travel really enjoyed it, decided to move to Melbourne and study international studies. And um, from there, I moved into a job in corporate social responsibility ratings. I Melbourne is uh, down the south of Australia and it's very cold. So I decided at some point to move up to Brisbane in Queensland. Um, and then I decided to study again. And I did a law degree, worked uh, in planning and environment law, then litigation. And then I met and married a vet, And we decided to move to Far North Queensland just to do the the regional thing and have a chance to save up money and get ahead and get out of the city for a bit. So we moved um, basically a thousand miles north of Brisbane to the very top of Australia. So basically Cairns is in far north Queensland on the coast where you have the Great Barrier Reef and crocodiles and rainforest and and then up the mountain from there is the Atherton Tablelands and that's where we lived. And I was a regional generalist lawyer there and uh, my partner was a vet and we were approached by a vet who wanted to retire. His clinic was in the middle of the rainforest down a dirt road Um, he'd been practicing for a very long time it was the granny flat in his backyard Uh, his neighbor came over every Wednesday as an unscrubbed assistant and they would do surgeries other than that it was just him and his wife would help him after hours if needed he didn't have a computer it was all just card files (laughs) (laughs) wow Stevens in circle anesthetic machine no fluid pumps and he wanted to retire but he was the only other um, vet clinic in the area um, from the one other clinic so he wanted his clients to have two choices of vets to go to so he really didn't want to retire until he'd sold the business and so he convinced us to buy it and I decided to take some time off law and set up this business with my husband and I thought that we'd just get it going and it would mean that he could be a vet who worked for himself maybe we'd have one one or two employees, I'd get the business going and then go back to law. But it was really busy from day one. Obviously, we found a different premises to open it in and got it all ready. Um, And something just clicked for me. I loved the challenge of business. I loved the human-animal bond. I loved working with animals. Um, I studied my certificate for in vet nursing, in my mind, just to be able to manage the nurses. Obviously, you can't be a manager that says, why are you doing this before this? Or this should um, not take so long if you don't know. So that's why I did it. But then when I started doing it, I was like, actually, I really enjoy this. And so at some point, it became obvious that we didn't need me to have the additional income of being a lawyer. There was, you know, we were just kept on hiring and recruiting and getting busier and I was really needed. So I gave up law and I let my practicing certificate lapse, which I'd been keeping going by volunteering. Um, And yeah, we ran our business for seven years. Uh, And in that time, I, you know, did, uh, I had two kids. Um, I went to a lot of conferences, did further study and that sort of thing, just adored it. But also, The veterinary retention crisis really started hitting us and I think that in Australia the regional clinics have been the canary in the coal mine in this um, sense like they were hit far before the city clinics um, with this, um, oh my God, we can't get staff. Why have we been advertising for a vet for six months and not one single applicant? So that definitely affected us. And being a small business, my partner who was one of one, two or three vets at our clinic at any given time, depending on you know where we were going with recruitment, He often just worked ridiculous hours just to keep things going. And when I would say, it's time to back down, he would say, no, I need to keep, uh, we can't turn business away because if we do get that other vet, we need the income. And that contributed to some pretty poor mental health for him, which, you know, we're going to get into today, because I definitely think we were sort of unwittingly pulled through um, the churner of the veterinary industry. And as much as I felt like someone who was aware of the risks and trying to mitigate them, in hindsight, I'm like, wow, you know, we have to be really careful of our people um, and aware of the way that we can be affected when we're just trying to, you know, continually keep up with the madness that is our industry at the moment. So um, that all culminated in us selling our veterinary clinic, moving down to the Sunshine Coast, so a thousand miles back south again, um, where I have family. Um, Unfortunately, it led to us separating as well. And I have started working as a vet nurse manager at an emergency practice called the Animal Emergency Service in the Sunshine Coast which has been really cool, sinking my teeth into emergency, which I knew nothing about. It's also been really scary because I came back after like years (laughs) of having babies and not doing anything clinical, and then I'm like, what's a dog? Um, (laughs) uh, But my team's been great in, um, you know, accepting me as basically a a glorified animal attendant when I'm on the floor um, and training me up. I'm doing some uh, emergency nurse training at the moment. But then, you know, the business side of things and the advocacy side of things is what I really enjoy and I'm someone who is definitely here for the people. Um, awesome. and that's where I am. Awesome.
0: I'm at. You're going to have a unique perspective on the the answer to this question because not only are you a, a vet nurse, but you also were a practice owner. So, how do you view the the profession as a whole? And obviously your your view may also be a little bit skewed because I would imagine the situation in Australia is is going to be somewhat different than it is here in the states.
2: Mm. And the interesting thing to me in the two years that I was regularly interviewing guests on Radio Vet Nurse, uh, which I haven't released anything for a while now, but whether the guest was from the States or the UK or Australia, I was always amazed that overall there was a universality of experience and the big issues very much were the same. So, I think when I uh, I interviewed for my Interrupted series, which will be coming out in May as well. I interviewed Kenyagi, and I have listened to him in other podcasts recently. And I think he describes it perfectly when he says it's the best of times and it's the worst of times. And what Interrupted focuses on is that I feel like we are on like the very precipice of something amazing, but We have to really choose what we do right now Um, and we almost have to, you know, push harder than ever for change. Otherwise, I feel like we could fall back the other direction um, and just continue in this way that um, we can see is pretty doomed. So, I think that we need to change how we organise our teams in terms of obviously the levels of techs and um, nursing professionals, better professional recognition, getting rid of this ceiling where a clinical nurse will get to a certain point and then can't go any further except for into practice management. But also by elevating our nurses and techs, we can alleviate um, the strain on our vets. And yeah, we just have to keep challenging and pushing for the change. And unfortunately, the people who are leaving and voting with their feet as sad as it is you know
0: it's true that's an interesting way to put it is that they're voting with their feet by leaving you know i've been thinking about this Mm. since we've started asking this question of like how do we make this a profession that that people are not only going to want to do because there's there there are people that do want to do this profession but how are we going to make it so that they get into this profession and love it and stay in it because that's that's the hardest part i think yeah
1: Mm. yeah yeah, yeah, it's, mm. it's often a, a yeah, bridge absolutely. to another career. Mm-hmm. It's easy to start in high school or in college, and you learn a lot of really cool stuff really, really fast. And then, like you're saying, cat, like you kind of sealing out and. Realize at some point there isn't anywhere else to go other than maybe to a different type of practice and but you're still doing the same thing. There's not a whole, there's not a, a ladder to climb, so right, to speak. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So you know when you think about all of that, what one thing? If there was one thing you could wave a magic wand, what would you change first that you think would be the first domino to fall to fix all that?
2: I kind of cheated with this question and I did one th- one okay. thing in parts A, B, and C. You're not being
1: graded. You can you can cheat if you want.
2: Um. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not sure if I've got the solutions, but I think I've I've tried to just highlight the obstacles. I don't know specifically how to fix them, but I think that part A is that we're not business people. So maybe the solution there is bringing in business people, but I think we're operating really complex, multifaceted medical centers. You know, when we say a GP clinic, they're not GP clinics. They're like mini hospitals, right? And there's so many moving parts and it's often operated by a vet owner um, who's also trying to be a vet and um, it'd be as though you went to a human hospital in a small country town and the doctor treating you was also running the hospital. Like, you just wouldn't experience that, would you, in a a public hospital? Um, So, yeah, I think the step to fix that one is probably bringing in more non-vet people. And B is the technological advances and what we can offer in treatment. It's just come in leaps and bounds and the human-animal bond has also come in leaps and bounds. But maybe the other facets that come along with that haven't kept up, like something that is starting to be spoken about in Australia is potential government funding of pet care or subsidization or you know social work funding and support that recognizes that the human-animal bond reduces the cost of public health care. You know, when we have people who own pets, they're healthier. When we have people who are going through traumatic experiences, I think that the, the, the financial burden, um, you know, keeping up with what we can offer and how much people want to do, I think that's a huge line of tension. I don't really know, again, what the solution is for that. And <laughs> <laughs> the final strand, I think, is retention and attrition and what it's done to the numbers of people left on the floor uh, in businesses teamed with the increased pet ownership post-COVID and I have heard some people say and I've read some articles saying maybe there's not increased pet ownership but in Australia in Australia there definitely is. Um, we've got some statistics here that's from I'll have to send you guys a link but it's you know Australian Bureau of Statistics figures and basically in Australia pets we have 30.4 million people we have 25.7 million. Vets we have 13,951. Doctors, we have 124,671. So pets per, sorry, let's go human patients per human doctor, 206. Pets per vet, 2,179.
0: 10 times. 10 times, yeah. So
2: like those numbers are just wild, right? Yikes. And again, I don't, know, I don't know what the solution is apart from getting better maybe at the way we structure our teams, looking more at having, you know, veterinary nurse assistants coming in as the layer underneath the nurses um, and upskilling them so that our nurses can step up to a level and be better leveraged to be assisting the vets and the vets can have, you know, increased usage of things like assistants and scribes and that sort of thing. Um, and again, I think that's a business thing. Like when I worked as a solicitor, I was not allowed to to type at my computer. We had dictation machines and we had somebody whose job or two people who were word processors. So, if I was writing an email or a document or a letter, I would have to get my my dictation machine out and speak and then pop it in its little cradle and it would shoot it through to the word processor who would type it and then it would appear in my computer as a file. If I was ever typing and a partner of the law firm walked past me, he'd say, would you like a job as a word processor or would you like a job as a solicitor? Um, Because they, yeah, because I was billing my time in six-minute increments and they could see that it was a waste for me to be typing when somebody else can be doing that. So, I think other industries, A, are better at really protecting the time of the people who have the unique ability to do the thing, but I think they're also better at shielding Mm. Those people. Like when we first opened our veterinary clinic, we had a nurse who had worked with my ex at another clinic. So uh, she knew, you know, how things went. And I remember in about the first week. The phone rang. She picked it up. A client said, oh, yeah, I want to speak to Dr. So-and-so, like, obviously, because he knew my uh, partner from a previous clinic or maybe it was an existing client, whatever it was. And she said, okay, sure. She put the client on hold, walked down the hallway, knocked on the consult door where my partner was in a consult and said, (laughs) so-and-so is on the phone. (laughs) And I was like, (gasps) oh. Um, <laughs> and you know that's an extreme example but other examples would be people just Uh, you know, I had to teach our nurses the skill of really finding out more information what does the client want is it something that you can help with like let's only let the messages through to our vets that really have to be dealt with by the vets because half the time they call the person back and the person's mm-hmm. just like can you mm-hmm. fit me in on Tuesday
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah so Kat our our May series is we're going to fo- focus on mental health so let's kind of dive into this a little bit. So this year we're, we're trying to focus on addiction and our last episode was an, a technician who battled addiction. So can you describe how you were affected by addiction? Not yours but the addiction of a loved one.
2: Yeah so um, in the first episode of Interrupted which is going to be a four-part series I'm basically addressing why I just dropped offline in terms of the Radio Vet Nurse podcast. And basically my life turned upside down in about November um, 2020. It's sort of in the three months leading up or four months leading up. Um, And what happened was my um, vet husband developed um, a pretty severe substance use disorder. And so I knew nothing about And I mean, I guess you can use uh, addiction and substance use disorder pretty interchangeably. I like that um, substance use disorder recognises that it is a mental health disorder. And yeah, so, yeah. so it, it affects a person's brain and behavior, leading to their inability to control their use of substances. And it can be anywhere from moderate to severe, um, with addiction being the most severe end of the spectrum of substance use disorder. So we were definitely dealing with addiction and substance use disorder because you know eventually you get like a physical dependence and um, and that sort of thing. So it often co-occurs with anxiety and depression, and they're often treated together. My vet um husband at the time when we had the business I think he just like ratcheted up bit by bit by bit by bit by bit the pressure and said yes and wanted to be securing the income so that we could continue to pay the team and have the client base ready for the next vet that we hoped was coming but never was he was um sometimes the only vet on call 7 days a week for you know multiple years at a time and he was just super you know stoic and no I'll push on and of that generation where you know for he and I both we both started working at McDonald's and Pizza Hut when we were Fourteen, and you know you work, and uh, and so I think we just pushed through. And at the same time, we renovated our house and had babies. And obviously, like there was this huge anxiety for him that he started that that I guess triggered this substance use disorder. And so the danger is that as time passes, he as the time passed, he needed larger um, doses, um, eventually just to feel good. And I'm I'm trying to be as open and honest as possible in talking about this because I think it's important that we do but I'm also I guess trying to apply like a filter to protect um his privacy and the privacy of my of course family so I apologize if I sound a (laughs) bit like I'm grasping for my words but Eventually, you know, there's a physical dependency, and physical addiction actually changes the way that your brain feels pre- pleasure. So it is just this huge um, effect that it has on a person. Um it causes physical changes to the neuron in neurons in your brain. I um, mean those changes can remain long after um, the use stops. So it is a really serious um, disease, and my life was hugely affected. And in hindsight, it was probably being affected. For quite a while in the lead up, Um, it was just that life was pretty chaotic because we had this crazy busy business that was just booming. Um, I had young um, toddlers, babies. You know, eventually it did destroy my marriage because when I found out what was going on, I guess another symptom of substance use disorder is lying and manipulating, and it's not because that person's a bad person or a liar or deceitful. It's because. They do whatever it takes to be able to continue um, using the substance. And for me, that eroded the trust to an extent that I didn't feel like, you know, the the collateral damage was just huge. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it, it just causes the person to do whatever it takes to use the substance or substances. And this can mean by lying, creating chaos, deceiving, manipulating, gaslighting. And I definitely like I listened to a lot of podcasts on substance use disorder in like in the months following because I I really didn't understand about it before that. And now that I know more about it, I can see those things as symptoms of a disease, um, not as you know, facets of this person or their personality. Um, but I was pretty traumatized by seeing the person that I loved unravel and someone who was such a great vet. There were definitely hard times in the lead up to it coming to a head. And when it did come to a head, I moved a thousand miles south back to the Sunshine Coast where my brother lives with like less than within less than 24 hours of having made that decision to do it. And luckily, my um, ex got treatment and we stopped him working immediately and the i guess the the impact the way that i was affected i think is just it was a bit like the tablecloth trick. You know, one minute you're standing there and you think that's your life, and then it felt like boom, um, someone whipped the tablecloth out and I'm like, Oh god, that that's it wasn't this beautifully set table with the candles, and actually like the glasses have all smashed and fallen over and what was under my what was under me before is not. So it was really um a lot. And I'm so grateful that he survived. I consider him a survivor of the veterinary industry and I'm so grateful for my kids. Um, At the time I had a 14-month-old and a three-year-old um, and yeah, luckily they're both so young that I'm pretty sure I was able to <laughs> um keep them from knowing what happened and you know, my ex lives five minutes from me now, is fantastic um with the kids, is totally recovered and doing all the things that he needs to be doing and working again and a great dad and I consider ourselves, you know, I've moved from considering us unlucky to considering us really lucky.
1: So, you know, looking back, you you said in there as as things kind of started to unravel and and in hindsight you might have missed a couple of things where as you looked back once you kind of realized what was going on what were some of those signs or symptoms or or things that you missed?
2: Yeah I've thought about this question a lot and the two main things that I really want to talk about here is like it changes any Changes and intuition, because I think it depends on the substance that a particular person is addicted to as to what signs you're going to see. And if you've never experienced somebody using that substance, you're just never going to pick it up. And so you would have to just remember, like almost a shopping list of (laughs) this causes this and this causes this. And also, a lot of the things that addiction will cause mimic burnout and. Exhaustion and fatigue and all these things that kind of make sense sometimes in the chaos that we're dealing with. The thing for me is that I definitely was noticing changes and I definitely was saying, hey, can you see this doctor or, hey, can you see this psychologist and doing all the things. But I'm going to share something quite personal. Um, I started seeing a psychologist myself and one day she was talking to me saying it's really important that you cry and when you feel yourself crying, let it happen because – I had just had to do so much. As soon as I found out, I had to move, sell the business, find somewhere to live, like all this doing and look after the kids, like I'm still changing one's nappy and like getting one onto the potty. Like it was just, you know, the day to day. And so she said, you know, if you feel that coming, like just stand in the shower and think about everything that happened and let it go. And I was like, well, that thinking about everything that happened doesn't make me cry. Looking at my towels folded in the linen press does. And she said, okay, great. Why? (laughs) And let's explore that. And this is why you need a trained professional, right? Um, Because obviously that was a trigger for me. And she got me to, you know, close my eyes. She took me back to that moment. What am I doing with the towels? And you know, I'm folding them in my lounge room, and I've got my both of my kids bathed, and I've got one of them watching cartoons, and the baby's with me in the lounge room while I'm folding the laundry, and the dinner's in the oven, and my husband's due home soon, and life had so many challenges that day and things to do but I got the bookkeeping and the myob done while the kids were sleeping and I you know I got on top of that issue with the client complaint and I you know checked in with one of the team members and I did the roster and at that time I'm thinking wow life is crazy but like we are managing right and and I thought that that was the way things were and then I'd fold the towels and put them away and be like yes you know, orderly, neat, tidy, managed. Um, And then what happened when I realized the horror, I guess, of that feeling that I had at that exact moment, really the diametrical opposite was true. And so then for me to move to my new house down here, I had to fold the towels a totally different way, right? I went from the trifold with the beautiful, you know, the the fold facing out to like, I am doing squares, a square into a square into a square. And it's just going on there because it would take me back to like, how could I have been so blind? And then I, I sort of unpacked that with my psychologist of, I'm scared that I missed so much. And in hindsight, It was obvious. And how can I then go on with my life and protect myself and my kids when I'm so stupid that I can't see this stuff that is danger? You know, another thing that popped up with that was like that horror trope of the woman's in the house, like, and someone's ringing and breathing into the phone and saying, I'm going to come and get you. And she's ringing the police, but she's like, I'm safe in the house. I've got the knife. I'm sitting in the kitchen with the phone. And then the police ring her and say, oh, we've traced the phone call, it's coming from inside the house. You know, that was my other horror of, you know, you think you're protecting yourself and your kids and whatever. And obviously with what was happening with my ex, in hindsight, like that was putting us all at risk, um, including him. And I realized like what I was protecting my family from was actually coming from inside (laughs) my family, (laughs) right? Um, And so there's all kind of that stuff that dawns on me when I look at the towels. And so what my psychologist helped me with is the way to move forward and trust that I'm going to be okay in the future is my intuition, getting back in touch with my intuition, which was telling me that something was wrong. And there were things that I was putting in place to protect my kids, even though I was like, oh, it's because he's super tired, I'll drive um, or whatever it was. And in order to to be in touch with that intuition, you also have to question like, what are my faulty beliefs that allowed myself to believe the unbelievable? And for me, the faulty beliefs were things like, I can't be a single parent. I can't provide financially as a sole income earner. I can't deal with when one kid's really sick and has to go to hospital, but there's another kid to deal with. I can't be in the house alone every night and you know like there's all these things like I can't be nearly 40 and single like I can't be a failure. I can't fail at my marriage. So once you start to unpack the faulty beliefs, you can actually look at what is happening around you, listen to your intuition and say, hey, even if the consequences for me are scary and the consequences for our family are scary, I have to, I have to stick to what I think is happening. And then the caveat to that, I guess, is when you're dealing with somebody with substance use disorder, they're only willing to get help when they're willing to get help too. So in some ways, I don't feel like there was a lot more that I could have done. And I'm glad that that we were all in that situation together for as long as we were, even though it was hard, because at the end of the day, um, he's still alive. Kids still have a dad. You know, we, we survived it. We got through it. It was hard. But so, yeah, I think that, If you're someone who wants to know how you look out for this sort of thing, I think just really listening to your intuition, really being honest with yourself and looking for change. And it is no different to with a patient, right? Like you noticing, you might be looking out for trends or for, you know, concrete things that you can say, oh, yes, definitely. Um, This is now not normal or I'm not happy with that sound. But sometimes there's a change that you can't even put your finger on. Um, but you will just go and get a colleague or the vet and say, I don't know what it is, but I'm just now not happy with this patient, like something's off. And those are the th- the things that you have to lean into and be willing to explore.
0: Got it. Well, wow. we're, we're about halfway through. Uh, I mean, I think we're halfway through. We could be just a quarter <laughs> way through. But um, we're going to take a little break here and pay some bills, and we'll be back right after the break.
1: The Vet Tech Cafe is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp online therapy will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in under 48 hours.
0: It's not a crisis line, and it's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online. That's more affordable than traditional in-person therapy, and financial aid is available.
1: Caffeinators receive 10% off the first month using BetterHelp.com/VetTechCafe. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. H-E-L-P to join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. You can log into your
0: account anytime and send a message to your therapist and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly, video, or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy.
1: Don't take our word for it. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily at betterhelp.com reviews. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash reviews. If you want
0: to take charge of your mental health, visit BetterHelp.com slash Vet Tech Cafe and get started today and get 10% off your first month. Be well, caffeinators. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Vet Tech Cafe where your first episode is always going to be free. Uh, so, Kat, we, we just had an ad for BetterHelp, obviously, for, for mental health. Um, so how now do you manage your mental health? Uh, you, you mentioned that you, you see a psychologist. Is that is that still ongoing or do you have other ways that you kind of manage yourself?
2: Yeah. In Australia, we I think not enough people in Australia are aware of this because, you know, I'll see on the chats um, of the – you know, veterinary nurse groups, people saying, I'm experiencing this at work, this is how I'm feeling, what should I do? And a lot of people offer really great solutions, but I rarely see people say, go to your GP. And to me, that's always the first step is to go to your GP. In Australia, you can your GP can give you a mental mm. health care plan, um, which gives you six um, government subsidised sessions with a psychologist. And my general practitioner at the time, who was a brand new doctor who I'd never seen because I'd just moved here, was fantastic. I told her the whole story and she said, we really need to get you with a very specific sort of psychologist who can deal with with this Um, because you do question yourself if you have been the loved one of someone with substance use disorder. And there's a lot that needs to, I guess, be reversed because – you're so close to someone with a uh, mental illness and I guess your own reality is 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 somewhat blurred as well. So I actually asked a friend of mine to, to make some recommendations as well because she's a counsellor and she recommended a couple of psychologists. I went with one who has been fantastic. Um, I started seeing her monthly initially to just unpack the trauma and get through the first stages of, you know, being able to be around my ex again and being the best that I could be for the kids and restarting my life. And now we are at a point where at the end of last year, she sort of said, look, we can continue if you want. We can get into now the, like the personal growth sort of stuff. And I was like, yes. Uh, And I thought that that would be, how do you want to be even better than you are but it's not it's really scary but it's great it's like let's hold up a mirror and see this blind spot that you have about yourself that you didn't really know about and it's maybe be difficult to look at, but if we um, unpack it, then we can move to this um, level beyond it. That means that I can be a better manager for the people um, that I'm managing at work. I can be a better parent. I can be a better co-parent. Uh, I can be a better friend. So, yeah, I'm continuing to see my psychologist monthly and, you know, occasionally I'll have a flare up and we'll deal with something that you know, is from this initial event. But then yeah, otherwise I'm just treating it now as something like going to the dentist and I think I'll continue it for as long as I can. I'm fortunate enough that I can afford to do that now that I'm not in the government subsidised phase and I appreciate that it's not something that that everyone can afford to do Um, but there are a lot of great services out there now um, that offer all varied levels of, you know, anything from counselling to psychology, face-to-face, online and a lot of businesses have, a lot of workplaces have EAPs where you can have access to that kind of support too. So I think that it's it's something that in Australia is not very normalised either. Like I think maybe over in the States it's more normalised to say you know I spoke to my therapist whereas in Australia it's moving I think maybe trying to move out of a period where it is somewhat stigmatized like oh if you have a psychologist it must be because you're sick or you're not well or you're not right so that's definitely part of what I'm doing to look after my mental health moving ahead I went into very much like a survival mode from when I got down here in November 2020. I had to sell my business, which involved all sorts of due diligence and, you know, find somewhere for me and the kids to live in the middle of a rental crisis, find their daycare, find a job, figure out how to be a single parent because uh, my ex wasn't actually down here with us for the first two to three months. So that was all really full on. And It was only in November, like literally a year later, bang on the anniversary, I got ophthalmic shingles really severely. (laughs) Yeah. And that was a big wake up call to me because I went on like four rounds of antivirals and my body just could not fight it. Um, it got into my eye. So, I had ocular involvement. It scarred my retina. My GP was like, this is only the second time I've ever seen that happen. Of you course. Know, I've still got, um, yeah, um, <laughs> I've still got, you know, n- neuralgia to some extent around there. And so, my GP at the time was like, because um, I was like, am I like, am you know, suppressed or am mean compromised or what's wrong with me? Like, and he said, do you do anything other than parent and work? And said, <laughs> no. And he's like, well, that's your problem. <laughs> and <laughs> so it was a huge wake up, and like the fact that it has scarred my sight somewhat. I am taking that with me as a reminder every day. Like, this is the effect on your body if you do not do the right thing. And I thought that first year that I was doing fine, I was coping, but I was just surviving. Um, and again, there were faulty beliefs that I had to unpack. Like I have this faulty belief just from the work ethic that I was raised with, like I was sent out to get a job when I was 12 in the fish and chip shop five days a week. Um, and my brothers were too. And that's great. Have a work ethic. Fantastic. But any belief that becomes, you know, too strong is an issue because I had this belief that, well, I can't put the kids in daycare if I'm not working. And if I'm, you know, not working, I should be being productive. And so I I had to be like, you know, what, I'm putting the kids in daycare for a third day of the week and and I'm not working that day. And then I had to teach myself on those days not to pack it full of jobs and batch cooking for a rainy day i was like you're going to watch tv in the day cat um <laughs> And I'd like sit down and watch something on Netflix for an hour and it would kill me initially. And I felt so guilty and I was like, oh my God, this is insane. Um, So I've tried to incorporate time now in my life where I'm not parenting and I'm not working. I'm trying to prioritize exercise. I've started running for the first time in 15 years. I'm making sure I'm going to the gym. Also like I was just kind of trying to cook dinner for the kids and never looking out for myself like, okay, well, we've just cooked nuggets for them and some, you know, noodles and they've got their veggies baked into their hidden kind of thing that I make them and I'll just eat a carrot as well. And it's like, no, you actually, even if you're making a different meal for yourself, you got to eat well. This is just like the obvious again I'm like learning how to just human I feel like (laughs) but I'm feeling a lot better since then and you know in hindsight I think me and the kids did get sick pretty regularly that whole year and I'm glad that I learned the lesson with ophthalmic shingles and not with you know I, I think that if you sustain chronic stress like that, you end up with a you know, cancer mm-hmm. diagnosis and things like that. So I will always cherish my scarred retina because it reminds <laughs> me every day, like, slow down.
1: You, you know, it's it's ironic you, you bring that up because May 2020, I got shingles, not ophthalmic, thankfully, the, the kind of more usual, like across my abdomen. And then maybe six weeks after that, I got covid and I was thinking to myself, like, same thing, like, am I immunocompromised? Like, wh- why why am I getting these viruses? And it, it boiled down to how miserable I was in my job and how stressed out I was about that because it was veterinary medicine is all I've done for 25 years. And here I am at a clinic that, again, this faulty belief that I thought academia was gonna be this ivory tower situation. It completely wasn't. and. I was just so, so, so miserable and stressed out. And that was, that was what was doing it. And it took a long time to like, like you said, unpack that, figure that out and kind of get through all that and figure out how to change my ways and uh, start seeing a therapist doing the same things. And that was really, really, really helpful for me, but it was actually a lot of the same kind of problems or things that I experienced too. Yeah, for sure. Mm. So, you know, you being a, a veterinary nurse and your ex being a veterinarian obviously, and you've alluded to this too, that the vet industry has some, has contributed something to this, the stress of the career, many, many, many facets. How do you see that kind of factoring into this scenario?
2: Well, the business model of a small vet clinic has its issues. Like if you open a one vet clinic and then you want to become a two vet clinic, you basically double your professional staff overnight. Mm-hmm. So financially, to bridge that gap. You have to have your one vet doing at least the work of one and a half vets, right? And it's a private business, so you're you've got your yourself on the line, you know, you don't want to face bankruptcy and that sort of thing. So you just have your vet do more work and longer hours and and then you get to the point where you're like, "Yay, we can hire another vet," but then you're not getting any resumes through, you know, and then there's the after hours as well. So we would have uh, clients calling not only with genuine emergencies, but also people just calling like after a few drinks, saying like, mm-hmm, "I don't want to come yeah. in or anything," but da 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 da. And in their mind, there's some dedicated um, government-employed team member sitting at the clinic ready to take these phone calls. They did. I don't think there's enough public awareness. Maybe sometimes that. In regional areas in Australia, the vet who is on call and going in to do your cesarean at 4am is the same vet that worked all day the day prior and the same vet that's going to work all day the next day. I think that that definitely contributed just the the retention crisis and the shortage of vets meant that we struggled to even find locums. Like when we first opened in 2013, we could pretty much get a few locum applications and you know, go to a conference overseas for a couple of weeks, no problem. But as time went on, we couldn't. And we were starting to speak to the um, employment agencies um, who place the vets and the locums ringing them up saying, what's going on? And they're like, yeah, we know um, this is happening in a lot of regional areas. So, um, and as I said, by then I would be saying to my ex, like, just, we need to just say no to the work. Like we need to just block out a couple of days and have you not at work or we need to just not be on call. Um, But then there is that financial pressure of, well, but what if we do get this resume? We need to have the client base to be able to have them not just twiddling their thumbs. Um, Because again, when you hire a new vet, but you've got a vet that's been the vet in a small country town, all the clients want to see the old vet, right? Um, So you need to have enough, uh, uh, enough work that you can sort of split it between both and start getting them in front of this vet. And often you're recruiting someone who's not very experienced. So um, you need your old vet to be there anyway, teaching and training. So I definitely see, yeah, just the pressure of the business model where we have our regional vets on call too much and working too much and being called at all hours by clients. And then also, you know, you get stopped in the supermarket by somebody who knows you. And again, they're just talking to you about, Pets and you know we used to um, sometimes go to like a wedding or whatever out of town, like back in New South Wales or like Southeast Queensland for friends or family. And when we would go into the wedding reception or whatever, we'd look at each other and be like, "Do not tell anyone that we work in vet med because mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. just wanted a night off of talking about it." So yeah, I think that just the pressures of uh, a business model that maybe worked when dogs were chained up to the kennel and, you know, the owners – only brought them in if it was a super emergency and they wouldn't have dreamed of doing half of the diagnostics and workup and treatment. The human-animal bond wasn't nearly as strong and it was probably more sustainable. And the vet might've had the clinic under their house and said, yep, for five bucks, you can I can chain the dog up here and um, see how it goes. And for 10 bucks, I can give them the vitamin K and chain them up here. So, <laughs> I, And in Interrupted, we have a couple of vets talk about that, um, saying, you know, back 30 years ago, it was, this or this and, and I think that that's a huge piece of the puzzle so and I guess you know in in Australia we know that you know, we lose a vet um, to suicide about once every 12 weeks and so you know it's a hugely petrifying statistic and I do think that my ex was pulled into into that, like into whatever that unique, you know, pressure cooker is and yeah. whatever the ingredients are that are clearly affecting so many. I think that he was affected by that. As I said, I think he's a, a survivor of it, even though he seemed happy. Um, he definitely, though, was, you know, stressed out and burnt out, but, you know, loved w- what he was doing. So one thing we talk about on Interrupted, I interview the current president of the AVA who has a big, hairy, audacious goal to drastically reduce the suicide rate of vets in Australia and he's been working in conjunction with the Australian government and other third parties because the Australian government is saying why are vets at the top of the list again what do we need to do to get you off the top of the list so I think that there's some r- really exciting things happening on that front um and yeah I um as a for me i guess being affected as a as a nurse i think i was lucky in a way that i understood the pressures of what he was experiencing and i really feel for partners of people who work in this industry who might not have an idea of the unique pressures
0: so how how do you feel like it, it affected you professionally. Like I, obviously, you're in a different position now. Um, you're, you know, you're not a business owner anymore. H- how do you feel like that has affected you? Like now, going to work now, how do you feel like you're managing that?
2: Yeah, in a few different ways. Initially, it affected whether I thought I would come back to the industry or not. Because on the one hand, I was like, I'm the general manager of this business, and look at what I let happen mm. to my principal vet, like maybe I'm not very good at this job um, and also because I thought I think I'm going to have such a lens of hey, we have to really be careful that we don't destroy our people, that maybe I won't be able to be quiet. Um, and I actually was, I went to the beach with a friend of mine, Rosie, who works in the industry. And I said that, I said, like, I, I think maybe I need to go back to law or something because I won't be able to keep my mouth shut with things that I disagree with. And I know that it's hard to not be speaking, you know, within the echo chamber. And I, I know that it's, I I want to be perceived as a good girl. I don't want to rock the boat and I would have to, and that would be uncomfortable and hard. And she was like, yes, this is what the industry needs. You have to do it. Like, yeah, we need disruption. And I felt like we were conspiring and like people might be listening. Like I really felt scared and like we were being naughty, but she was like, this is why you need to come back to the industry, right? Because we need people like you to say, hey, like I don't necessarily think this full-on thing's going to happen to everyone, but we are being impacted and we do have to make sure changes. Initially, going back um, into the clinic was hard for me because there were certain medications that I found quite triggering to be around. And yeah, it was hard because I hadn't been in the clinic much around when it happened because it was COVID, daycare was closed. So, I had to always be at home with my three-year-old who couldn't go to daycare. Plus, you know, we had a little baby as well. And the clinic was so busy that Instead of having the days where my ex would watch the kids and I would go into the clinic, we always needed him at the clinic because we had our third vet quit in August. So it also impacted me coming back to work in my ability to have people who were going through certain issues or problems and I, I do sometimes get triggered and feel like really worried, like, oh, is this somebody who's actually, you know, about to go home and potentially um, die by suicide? Like, or is this someone who has a substance use disorder? H- how much help does this person need? And I'm really lucky that I have a manager who knew my situation from very early on. She gained my trust. And um, the first time it happened, I basically said to her, I now need to hand this and any other situation like this onto you because I can't trust my lens necessarily, but I also can't have this fear on my shoulders and I need to know that someone else is assessing it. So anytime I feel like that, I do just contact her and say, this person's not okay. I don't know how not okay. I need this to now be your, you know, something that you're taking on for me. And she's fantastic. Um, and is was very open to that.
1: Thinking back to to when everything was going on, how, how hard of a line was it to walk between offering support maybe to him and, and what he was going through and, and getting help and maybe being present for that but also not abandoning and maybe making a situation work or, or you know making a situation worse. I can imagine that was a very very difficult line to walk you know trying to make sure he gets the help he needs but not making things worse.
2: Yeah and that is really hard and people with substance use disorder in order to not relapse need, unconditional love and support and I had to really work to balance that against like anger and grief and all of those things and that's I think why I made a decision very early on that I can support and forgive you if I'm not your wife and but I can't I can't try and rebuild you know, do all of the work of trying to rebuild trust and a marriage and everything as well. So it is really a hard line to walk in offering support. And, and definitely, I um, was lucky enough to be able to rely on his family too. And at some point, say, I need to look after the kids, I need to get us down to the Sunshine Coast. I need you to look after him and they um, have been fantastic. He's very lucky to have a large family that all stepped in and, and helped. And yeah, so it has been difficult. He also had some great support groups in like there's, there was a human doctors group that he was referred to, which is basically, you know, doctors in recovery And what he and I and everyone in his family learned is that it's just so common, you know, particularly amongst human anaesthetists and vets. It's really, really common people in these high pressure roles where, you know, not only is the pressure of the workload that I was describing, but also, you know, these complex cases in a regional town, you're not referring internal medicine cases and you're not referring orthopedic surgery. You know, he was doing all of that and just the mental load of um, the patients and the business. So I think that the more we can learn about substance use disorder as a disease, um, the easier it is to try and support someone. But you also have to, you know, if you're someone who is the loved one of somebody with this disorder, you also just have to be kind to yourself and go through those motions because you will not flick the switch straight from, you know, finding out to love and empathy and um, unconditional support and kindness. But people with substance use disorder who are in recovery definitely need that because it is uh, like shame is a huge thing for somebody who's in recovery, the shame of, you know, the dawning realization of what happened for that period. Because remember, their brain wasn't functioning properly and their brain is still Uh, you know, their neurons are still different. So shame in itself can trigger a relapse. So it can be this really vicious cycle. So um, yeah, you have to, it is a really fine, delicate balancing act. And again, that's where I think having a psychologist to help you, you know, navigate through all of that is really important. Mine definitely pulled me up every now and again and was like, Hang on a minute. (laughs) Um, And, yeah, she would sort of help me calm down and see things in a more positive way and appreciate um, his perspective. So, Mm.
1: yeah. Absolutely.
0: Stuff. So, uh, you know, as we're getting closer towards our hour, um, we want to talk about Radio Vet Nurse and your Interrupted series. So talk about that for a little bit. Who, who are you going to have on as guests? Um, what kind of topics are you going to talk about? And you have, have you already recorded those and just haven't released them?
2: Yeah, it's recorded and it's in production. I'm actually working with an external executive producer um, because I felt so close personally to the content that I didn't feel like I could pick the story apart and and tell it like you know what I mean yeah. I needed somebody removed to be like this is the story but I definitely wanted to share it Firstly, to say to Radio Vet listeners, hey, this is where I went. But secondly, to to take that traumatic experience that we all went through and have it, you know, emerge from the cocoon as a butterfly, um, that is something that that hopefully will bring good, even if it if, even if it makes a difference to one person um, who listens and says, hey, I need to speak up and get help because I'm affected by substance use disorder, or hey, I I need to put some more proactive steps in place for myself um, as protective mechanisms because I don't want um, to burn out or I don't want to leave the industry or I want to push for change. So it's a four-part series um, that will be released in May, I think an episode per week. And the first episode is basically how did we get here in terms of where the industry is at the moment? um, And what are we doing? And it also basically tells my backstory and it it speaks about what happened. Um, The second episode is let's look at the industry as a whole and what's going on. The third episode is let's see what the corporations and the businesses and the industry leaders can do to make changes in the industry and then the final episode is what can what can we do personally you know waiting for change from above can take some time. So in the meantime, what's in our control? Um, How can we help ourselves and how can we help others? So I've interviewed four guests um, for the series. I've interviewed Ken Yagi. Um, I've interviewed um, Laura, who is a nurse from the UK, um, who's uh, the internal medicine nurse um, on Instagram that you may have heard of. And a vet in Australia called Jocelyn, who has sort of a side business where she tries to it's called Smooth Operating Vets, and she basically tries to support mums um, in coming back into the workforce, which I think is an important part of the picture being so predominantly female. And I've interviewed Rosie Overfield, who is was a vet nurse and now a counsellor and uh, just um, incredible uh, business consultant and personal coach on things like you know boundaries and what we can control and thriving in the industry. I've interviewed um, Dr. Warwick Bale, who is the current – president of the Australian Veterinary Association, who is just doing that big, hairy, audacious goal of reducing the suicide rate in vets, but also bringing nurses along. Um, You know, they are definitely focused on helping nurses too, which I think is great. I've interviewed Dr. Rob Webster, who's actually the director of um, one of the directors of the Animal Emergency Service where I work, because I just think he's uh, a really inspirational voice for change and positivity. And and also um, Dr. Kat Williams, who was a vet and now is studying to be an organisational psych. And she has a lot of insight into things within our Control and things within the business control too. So, although it's quite heavy content, as (laughs) as listeners may have gathered from our chat today, um, I try have tried to sort of isolate that to the first episode. And again, I, I want to respect the privacy of my family, but I also want to talk about this. And then episodes two to four, I've tried to make just very practical um, things that we can actually grab onto and, and make changes with. So that is um, Radio Vet Nurse Interrupted.
1: Awesome. Gotcha. I, I was just going to ask, so is that going to be under the Radio Vet Nurse umbrella? Like you'll it'll yep. be, you know, if you're a yes. follower or subscriber, it'll, mm. okay, awesome. Yep. And yep. then after that going forward are we going to hear more from Radio Vet Nurse down the road again Well
2: I'm going to I'm going to interview the six interviews I recorded for the series um in their entirety probably weekly after the mini series which I wasn't going to at the time of recording but the my executive producer was like you should release those too because a lot stayed on the cutting room floor and I was like oh but I didn't record them like <laughs> proper interviews I recorded them to be chopped up and this and that and I did that voice and she's like just It's they're fine, like just release some of their really good content too. Um, so I'll release those because they're done and I can manage editing them. And the really difficult thing for me has been my like my personality pre all of this would be to, and then I'll go back to Radio Vetness and I'll continue to release monthly and I'll make sure the content's done and I'll produce and I'll be productive. Now I'm like, well it is a platform that exists. I don't know what shape it will take in the future. I'm sure it will do something. I don't know what yet. I might see how this miniseries is received. Maybe I'll do more miniseries like it, or maybe every now and again, I'll record something and release it. And it won't be this neat, orderly, beautiful, like <laughs> planned thing, um, um, which is yeah, very against my grain. It will just be, yeah, something will be happening. I don't know what just yet. Okay. And I take my hat off to you guys that you're still doing
0: this. <laughs> well, we're, 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 you know, it's a little different for us. There's two of us, so we're, we, we yeah. divide and conquer the the, we, the tasks. Yes, 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 yeah. Yes. Yes. So as we're getting. Well beyond our hour now. Um, Is there anything that we haven't asked you yet or we haven't discussed yet that you wanted to get out to our listeners?
2: No. uh, Thank you so much for having me on the show and to talk about Interrupted. And thank you so much for starting these conversations and having a focus on um, mental health.
1: Absolutely. Is there a, so not necessarily along this topic, or it certainly can be, but is there a person or topic, because you kind of know our format, that you would like to see on a future episode of
2: the Tech Cafe? Yes, there is. So, I think a topic could be the really concrete solutions to um, ways that individuals can go about making change and do things that are protective and um, that help us just, you know, Re-realign our values and set our boundaries and that sort of thing. So, one of my guests um, that I've mentioned before is Rosie Overfield. Mm-hmm. So she um, is a veterinary nurse, hasn't been actually nursing for um, a few years, but she's also a qualified counsellor with a master's in HR, and she's spent the last twelve years using that mixture of skills to work with practice owners and managers and veterinary professionals to achieve business success and also mental well-being. So she also is um the ava's main veter- uh, mental health first aid trainer oh wow so she i th- just think she has every time i speak to her she just has such practical concrete things that you can do like you can do it yeah. and it doesn't cost you any money and you can do it straight away and i think the more we can arm individuals with those skills um the better
1: absolutely yes we would definitely love to get in contact with her if if that'd we'll be all do. right yeah great
0: well, you're not done just yet. You got one more question. It's your Vet Tech Cafe. Would you rather question? Are you ready for it? Yes. This one comes from Jeff, and and he asked it to me, and I, I honestly don't know the answer. Uh, I I can't come up with a good answer. All right. Would you rather everything in your life, so weather, food, drinks, etc., always be hot or always be cold?
2: Oh. Oh, that's, that's a shocker. <laughs> <laughs> Straight away, I'm like, well, I can deal with an iced coffee and I really want a cold white wine. Um, but then I'm thinking of. But your
0: shower is going to be cold.
2: Oh, <laughs> I'm only thinking of food. Oh, no. That's. Me. I'm like, he he threw that one at me. I was dinner? like, oh,
0: no, no cold showers <laughs> shower. for me. Shower.
2: <laughs> <gasps> well. Gosh, yeah, it's going to have to be hot, and I would switch from wine to hot toddies. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, I like it,
2: or maybe like you know Bailey's Irish Coffee yeah, or something yeah. like that. So yeah, yeah it's got to be yeah. hot, right?
0: I, I mean, I would, I like the warm weather. I'm, that I've always liked that, but then like, you couldn't have cold beer. Um, I couldn't have my iced coffee. I, I'm yeah. torn. I, I don't know
1: what I would do. I, mm. I, mm-hmm. I, after a lot of consideration, I think I would lean toward cold. I can always cold. put an extra layer on and warm up. The cold shower thing would suck, but um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think I think I would lean cold.
2: Ah, oh, now you're making me reconsider. Maybe you're right. That's a nasty <laughs> one. Do I get to ask you one, oh, or do I have do. to oh, send you one absolutely. for the next guest? Oh, no, yeah, you do. Right. Absolutely. So, um, would you rather? And this is a a workplace question: okay. Would you rather, at work, never have decent clippers or never have decent coffee, and you can't bring either from home? Decent
0: clippers. I would rather have decent clippers because most of the time I'm driving quite a bit to get to where I'm working, and I finish my coffee oftentimes before I even get to the clinic. So I will take decent clippers any day of the week.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I, I think I would go clippers too. I feel like even if I had terrible coffee. If I had good clippers, at least the patients would be taken care of. Like, their catheter site would be nice. Their sh- surgery prep would be nice. I think I would, I would, uh, like a, a good pair of clippers with a fresh blade is just butter as opposed to like an old i was about to chew- say butter like an old chewed up blade no yeah i, I would go clippers well, and too. also
0: jeff you drink terrible coffee to begin with so there's that
1: yeah it's true <laughs> i i have a i have a wonderful cup of mocha mint today just Oof, for you mint well, if, if i had the if
2: i had the functioning clippers then my patients would be better looked after but i'm not sure about the people yeah around me. yeah
1: yes that is very yeah. true very very true yeah absolutely well, Kat, thank you so much yes, for uh, you for, sharing. for coming by the Vet Tech Cafe tomorrow, mm. which is weird because I think oh, yeah, for, it's you, Friday it's, for you, it's, it's Friday for you. I'm
2: in the future. Let me know <laughs> yeah. any lotto or sports results yes, that you want yes, me to check. Yes,
1: it's it's uh, Friday morning. It's morning for you?
2: It is. It's 9 o'clock yeah. on a Friday morning heading into the yeah. Easter long weekend. I've got a few days with my kids, and then I am working on Monday in the clinic um, with all the chocolate tox cases, no <laughs> yes. doubt. We've already had a lot of hot cross buns uh, and – chocolate dogs so fun times ahead
1: yes 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 well thank you again for coming by and and um, sharing your story because i think it's one again that resonates in our field a lot more than what we realize and I, i know somebody out there listening can relate to it hopefully hopefully kind of learn to start looking at some of these things and and dealing with some of these things. So I know it's not easy to talk about, but we really, really, really appreciate it.
2: Thank you for having me and for having these conversations too, guys. It's been awesome.
1: You're welcome. And we'll look forward to the interrupted series on radio Vetners Caffeinators. Thank you very much for tuning in. You guys take care. Bye guys. Hello, Caffeinators. We wanted to thank dog days consulting for managing our social media and helping with the interior design here at the vet tech cafe. They don't just do social media, they can help you identify your brand through brand coaching. The founder is a CVPM with 15 years' experience in veterinary practice management. They are a small business proudly serving the veterinary community, and we are thrilled to be working with them. Check them out at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. Hey, caffeinators! We would like to thank you for listening to the Vet Tech Cafe podcast today. As everybody is well aware by now, we often talk about difficult issues that face our profession. In addition, we chat with colleagues and leaders in our field who have strong opinions of these issues. Those opinions expressed by either Dave or Jeff as the hosts, or those opinions expressed by our guests, are their opinions alone and do not represent any other person, business, institution, or any other entity inside or outside of the scope of veterinary medicine. If you have any questions relating to this, please email us at vettechcafe at gmail.com or visit our website www.vettechcafe.com. Lastly, whatever platform you utilize to hear our dulcet tones, please rate and review our podcast and like and follow our Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages as well to see what we're up to. From all of us at the Vet Tech Cafe, have yourself a great day.